Hello and welcome to the Brand Explorer podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Belling, coming to you from Munich. These interviews explore the trails and passes people have taken to build successful brands in the cycling community. Listen to their lessons from their own personal experience. Enjoy the ride. Hello. Thank you for coming back. Yes, it has been a long break since the last episode. So I'm very excited today to share a very special guest, Chris Burkhardt. He borrowed his first camera from his girlfriend's mom. More as a tool to discover new places he was dreaming about. Today, Chris Burkhardt is one of the most renowned adventure photographers and the camera has become the tool to capture and tell his stories. His adventures are fascinating millions of his fans around the globe who follow him on Instagram. This conversation is about how Chris is dealing with risk and his way to balance his life, being a passionate workaholic, stubborn tinkerer and caring father and husband. Chris is also sharing insights on his approach, starting a new creative process, finding the next big story idea, and what important part his wife plays to succeed. We talk about his passion for water, especially cold one, how he manages time, and where he goes and what he does to find those great ideas. Enjoy the ride. So, hey, Chris, thank you for getting the time on getting on this podcast. I'm really excited to have you. How are you? I'm good. And thank you for having me, man. I'm, it's an honor. It's, uh, it's always exciting to, um, you know, chat with somebody from such a, a varied background like yourself. You know, we had only a few minutes to kind of get to know each other, but, but um, to be able to uh, know how well-versed you are within the um, creative community is, is, is inspiring. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah we, we just uh, connected uh, a few weeks ago through this, uh, this great uh, project with Schwalbe Tires, uh, Build Your Dream. And so I was just wondering, since this, uh, this uh, video uh, of you in your backyard having fun um, went viral, do all the kids from the neighborhood now come and knocking at your door? Hey, Chris, let us in. You know, that is one of like the dangerous things is like, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, you built this killer, you know, bike park in your backyard, you definitely have a lot of random people reaching out, wanting to ride. And then you're thinking about liability and, you know, so, you know, sadly I've, you know, had to keep it to kind of close some personal friends and people that I know, but um, yeah, you know, it is awesome to be able to invite people to come and experience it and, and to uh, come and ride it and, and have that, you know, have that time. So well, if anything, um, you know, I think that whatever we create, whatever we build, whether it's a creative pursuit or whether it's physical, like, like, you know, moving around dirt and building jumps, like if it connects you with people and, and, and allows you to um, experience a sense of community, I think it's really valuable. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a, a great piece of work, right? You know, with, with your shovel in the dirt and then, uh, you know, testing, testing, and, and in the end, you know, it's, it's working out. So, um, yeah. No, it's really fun watching you guys there uh, um, building this. And, and uh, I think that title, you know, Build Your Dream is not just uh, seems to fit for, for that uh, backyard, but uh, looking through all your 
um, adventures and the way you you live. It, it seems like that you have a, an ongoing uh, um, build your dream construction for for a lifetime. Yeah, I I would say in some way yes. You know, I tend to um, I tend to try and gravitate towards the things that I'm really passionate about and. And to be honest, it's kind of oscillated between the years. It's taken me, um, it's taken me on wild, you know, remote bike expeditions to far off places. It's taken me on surf trips to, you know, really the ends of the earth. And I think that if anything, I've tried to not be afraid of um, exploring new terrain, exploring something new within my career and personal life. And um, so I'm really, I'm really passionate about that. I'm passionate about learning. Um, and I'm passionate about not being, you know, constant and, and, and sedentary in my ways. Right. So like the, this, this, uh, this not being afraid, where, where, where did this start? Can you remember like, you know, where does it come from? Why are you not afraid of things? Well, I think, you know, I, I think it's a funny one because, you know, whenever somebody says that, you know, the, the, the reality is like, you know, I grew up with a lot of fear, you know, I didn't, I didn't have, um, I, I didn't grew up with the, my dad in my life. It was just me and my mom. And then I, and then I was lucky enough to have a stepdad. And so I think for me, like wilderness was a scary space and I didn't have that background of like, you know, going out and camping and traveling the world and getting on planes and seeing other cultures. So I think that if anything, when I started uh, a photographic career, photography, right? Like I, it was very much self-taught. It was very much like figure it out or or not, and you're or you're not going to be successful at all. So I was terrified. You know, the first time I ever jumped on a plane, it was I was going to the Middle East to Dubai and Yemen and Oman, and I was thrust into you know another culture, another place. Like I had no idea what I was doing, and I I kind of realized in that moment it was like adapt or 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 perish. You know, kind of like you got to survive. Um, and I think that like, I definitely saw the world with a lot of fear, you know, and, um, that's just something that happens when you don't really know what's out there. And I think that if anything, I've had to retrain myself to be less afraid, to be more, um, more open, more cognizant to the spaces around me and just trying to, um, yeah, be, be realize that you know, the energy I put out into the world is going to reflect back upon me. And if I'm open and, and, um, you know, see the best in people and see the best in places that it's probably going to come back in that way. So it's taken time. I, there's no real straight answer there. Sorry. Oh yeah. No, no. But the, it seems like you've been uh, doing really well on, on, on dealing with uh, your, your courage, you know, the balance of courage and fear and, uh, and step-by-step. Step. So what got you on the plane to Dubai? What, what was that trip? I was, um, I was, it was my first assignment for a surf magazine. Um, it was called trans world surf. It was a magazine based in, um, in California. And, uh, it was an opportunity where another photographer actually backed out because they couldn't go. And I was like the eager, willing person. Like somebody could have said like, yeah, yeah. Like you're going to go here. You're going to go there. And I was like, great, I'm down. I'll go anywhere. Um, and so I, I kind of jumped on board, um, didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Wasn't fully, um, wasn't fully prepared for what was happening, but, um, I figured it out and it made it work and it, it, it really blew my mind. Um, you know, I think that was the beginning of 
a lot of experiences that came really fast and came all at once. And, and it really was like a, you know, figure it out as you go kind of scenario. So moving now into this, this area of like, you know, figuring out and learning of you, you definitely had to, to overcome some, some uh, mishaps and, 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 and how do you deal with, uh, with things not working and learning, you know, because I guess you do a lot of this, right. The way you work. I think that the, the, the beauty of, of having a career path where, so few people in the world actually have this occupation. Um, you know, my, my work takes me from the at the, the, you know, two ends of the spectrum, right. Trying to, in some ways be an athlete and have athletic pursuits and pursue expeditions. And then at the same time, being a commercial photographer where I'm going and shooting work for brands or directing films or things of that nature. Um, it, it's a varied, uh, a lot is asked of me. And I think that along the way, there's been a lot of figuring it out. And I would say that I've never been the person who, um, who's taken the direct path, right? I just wrote a book called wayward and it's actually, um, the word wayward is kind of about taking a, an undirect path to your goals, right? The point being is that I've always learned the hard way because I've, I've always been too stubborn to figure it out any other way. I think that if anything, I'm not the most creative, not the most, you know, most intelligent photographer in the world. I'm just the one who's the most stubborn, the most willing to like put in the time, put in the work, put in the effort, the one who's willing to stay out longer. And that's really benefited me. So I guess, you know, to kind of answer your question, like life has been really just a series of kind of mishaps that I've been able to learn from. And, um, and, and there's been a lot along the way, you know, I've, I've had a lot of situations where I've, I've, um, I've figured things out as I've gone and, and, and luckily, you know, the, the, the bruises, the wounds haven't been too bad. Um, but if anything, I feel like what I've tried to do is really reflect upon past experiences. I'm, I'm very much like a, a tinker. I'm very much like a thinker. And, and even when I'm, you know, going on an expedition, thinking about, you know, the right components to take on a bike or the right clothing to bring or the right cameras to bring, I always want to look back and be like, well, what did I do right? But more importantly, what did I do wrong? And how do I learn from the things I did wrong? How do I, how do I like adjust? A lot of reflecting then. Yeah. And, and time yeah. beforehand to like think through, uh, okay, you know, what, what can happen? Or what can go wrong? Maybe even, you know? So and let's go back to, to photography. You said you, you, you learned all yourself, uh, uh, probably the hard way. So like, do you remember what was your first camera? First camera was a borrowed camera from, um, from my, my girlfriend at the time's mom. It was a film camera. I used that for years. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, I want to, I want to buy one of my own. So I bought one at a Goodwill auction. A Goodwill is like a secondhand store. Um, bought one at a Goodwill auction. It never worked. It sucked. And so I then saved up money, went and bought a Nikon N90S, which was a film camera, like a sports kind of film camera. Um, it had like a slight burst mode so I could shoot a little more action, but I was purely shooting film and then shot a little medium format and then eventually converted into digital. Canon 20D was the first digital camera I owned. And then that really opened up the doors because I wasn't limited by having to buy film and having to pay for the film. It was just, I, I was drowning myself when you're trying to learn and you're spending those 10,000 hours it requires to become proficient at something. It's, it's sickening to have to like pay for every roll of film. Right, every roll. Really, yeah. You, you just, it and then you look and 
Right. It doesn't allow you to experiment. And I wanted to experiment. And I think that my work at the time was very much about experimentation. So digital photography really opened the doors. And um, nowadays I shoot all Sony equipment. Okay, cool. And so uh, um, you're most known for, for surf photography, but what was the, the, the first things that you started to, to tinker around with uh, taking pictures? Well, I think landscapes were, and specifically like landscapes of the American West, because that's what I knew. I had never been anywhere else, right? I had only been 20 hours from my home by car. So the American West was very much like an inspiration to me. And, and that's what I understood, you know, and I think that growing up, being on the coast surfing, that was more of just like my personal growth experience as a youth, right? Like, like surfing encompassed my my youthfulness. And that was something that I never really thought about shooting as a career. I didn't even know that was a career. I, I dreamt of being a landscape photographer in the beginning, but, but I want to be honest, like in the beginning, I would have shot anything. When I decided to quit my job and quit school, I would have shot anything. And I did, I shot literally, you know, uh, weddings and, and senior pictures oh, really? inside of the inside of surf shops. Yeah. I mean, nobody picks up a camera and is like, well, I'm going to be a professional and I'm going to start shooting, you know, I'm going to start shooting on staff for surfer. How, how long did you shoot weddings or how many weddings did you shoot? Do you remember? I don't know. I mean, probably three or four. I mean, ultimately I was just trying to make a living with a camera. It wasn't romantic. It wasn't creative. No, I, I did the same thing. Like my, my first uh, professional shootings and when learning was wedding as well. So yeah. And, and it's, and I, you learn a lot, you learn a lot because you, you realize like in those moments you're, you're dealing with somebody who this is their day. You can't mess up. There's a lot on the line. It's not like going and shooting, a, you know, somebody surfing or a landscape where you get as much time as you want. So I value those early lessons. I really value those early times where I, um, I could fully understand like what was at stake. And I think that with photography, it evolved into something better. I think in the beginning I saw the camera more like a hammer. It was a tool. Oh, really? and, okay. Yeah. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't like I fell in love with photography. I fell in love with the idea of where it could drive me, where it could take me. If it could take me to see the world, if it could take me to see remote places And, and where did, where did this start from? Like, where did those dreams of, uh, uh, where you could be with this camera? Well, I think that it started from simply the fact that I didn't have that growing up. Like I didn't have a passport. I didn't, I hadn't gone anywhere. And then when I started to pick up a camera for fun, documenting my friends and I going surfing or, you know, I was kind of like the documentarian of that group. I did a little art in high school and it just, it, it was purely for fun. It was purely like one hour photo expired film going out and just taking pictures. And I all of a sudden looked at the camera in a different way. I was like, well, this could actually help me to see the world as opposed to just being a tool for like, you know, I wasn't looking at it like a tool for creativity and expression. I was looking at it as a way to get out of my small town. And, um, and so I think that was my, my earliest desire really and then it eventually became a creative process right great great story so like uh, <laughs> it's unlikely it's an unconventional path i think that's kind of the the, the point here <laughs> no but but uh, as you said you know like living in this in this beautiful place but not really getting out of it uh um looking for ways to 
to to make the next step you know and and right so the tool of a hammer right or a camera whatever it takes right it's a very rudimentary way of looking at it but i but i i truly feel like that was it, it, it was how I applied it. You know, I was always hard on my equipment. I was always like, you know, trying to like force my way through. And I, I didn't have like that beautiful tactfulness. You know, you see some photographers, some artists who kind of just glide through life. And I, I've never known that. I've always been like, let me bang my head against this thing until I figure it out. You said you're, you're, you're pretty stubborn. Is, is, and this is helping you uh, in, in, in getting to this, Chris, Chris Burke at perfection in one way, right? But also in, in, in other things, it's, uh, it can be a challenge. So like, how, how are you you're dealing with this with things are not going your way? You yeah, know? you know, I, I feel like if anything, time has been the great common denominator here because time has given me perspective and perspective is everything. It's so challenging. I mean, I've had moments in my life where I've been in my early 20s having a mental breakdown thinking about my career, my job, my editors back home, all these things that simply like, we're just going to, you know, we're going to implode if I didn't come back with the images. And now I've learned that life doesn't happen like that. You know, you, you, yes, mistakes happen. Yes. Sometimes it's in your control. Sometimes it's out of your control. All I can do is do every bit of my part to research, educate, learn so that I don't, fall in a trap of, of basically me being the one, the weak link. Right. Um, and I think that, I think that I've learned that a lot by being on expeditions, like even bikepacking trips where people are relying upon you or surf trips or climbing trips where you are one cog in a wheel, right. Or in a, in a machine and, and people rely upon you. And so when I'm on big assignments, it's the same thing, you know, people are relying upon me. I have to do my part. And so I think that now as I'm a little older <laughs> perspective has really helped me to realize that um, all I can do is my part. And if I do that and I know that I've, I've come to terms with that, what that is, I, I can feel healthy, safe, confident, all those things. Yet if I don't um, it's, it's really going to um, it could affect the whole group. So I, I really try to um, try to take um, disappointments in stride, try to learn from them, look at them as learning opportunities they do happen every year. Something right. goes wrong, you know. Something goes wrong, yeah. Hey, let, let's uh, uh, jump back to surfing. So, when you know you're living uh, right at the coast at Pismo Beach, like when when did you start surfing? When was the first time you remember? Um, you know, it's funny because like I've never been much of like a, a surfer. Like I, I love, I, you know, I, I like longboarding, and I, I grew up at the beach. You know, for me, my first experiences were just swimming in the ocean, and then boogie boarding, and then body surfing, and then you know, and then you know, longboarding and whatnot. But I started, you know, pursuing surf photography in my twenties. And so I realized very quickly that you're okay. never, you're never going to go out and get the best waves. I, I traveled the world looking at staring at the best waves on the planet. And my job was to always document them. And then usually when the wind would go bad or something, then I would have the opportunity to go out. And typically I was so burnt out that I didn't care, you know? So for me, I found more, um, I found it to be more important to go out and learn how to swim in the ocean because I was shooting with a housing in the water. A right, lot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that experience, even coming back home, it's like, if I have the opportunity, I would rather give myself to something that's going to train me for my career, which 
being proficient swimming, being proficient, being in big waves, being proficient, you know, holding up 10 pound weight over your head. Um, that really played a role in, in that for me. But, um, as early as I can remember, the beach has been a part of my life. It's been a part of my, who I am. So speaking about swimming in big waves, uh, especially at the coast with all the, the, the dwells and currents, uh, that's definitely, uh, demanding and, and risky, risky business. Uh, many people don't know, you know, many just look at from the outside. Um, yeah. but, uh, that, uh, and especially the, the point I want to get to is like the, the water temperature, like, you know, like if people are, if we talk about surfing, probably most people think about the beautiful warm Hawaii or, you know, melodies, uh, beautiful white beaches, but where you use talk about the, the water is just like what, Uh, 13 degrees, right? Like, like 50, 55 Fahrenheit, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that's one of the big differences is that when I gave my Ted talk, I spoke kind of to the point that, you know, what people think my career is versus what it really was, which is like, you know, people think you're staring at girls in bikinis, sipping down Mai Tais somewhere in the Caribbean. And I'm not going to lie, you know, that's, you could pursue that as, as a surf photographer, you could just be going to the tropics and, and enjoying life. And, but for me, that's not where the story was. That's not where the, that's not where the experience, the grit kind of lied. And I wanted to be amongst those, those real beautiful narratives, um, where you're in the North Atlantic, you're watching a swell unfold upon like an old fabled part of the coast and some remote area. And you're, seeking out a, a wave that you've only heard about, you know, at local pubs or something like that, you know, something just kind of that has some mystery to it. And yeah, you, you find yourself in some cold water, you find yourself in some unruly seas, you find yourself in some, um, some hectic situations that you have to manage and then also document in some way. Yeah, because that, that, that's definitely, uh, I feel from personal experience, one of the, 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 the biggest challenge that, that it's not talked about dealing with the cold, right? And yeah. No, not even in in uh, in your uh, hometown of Pismo Beach, but then you even go uh, more extreme to Iceland, where where water is is somewhere around like uh, the forties. Yeah, forty degrees Fahrenheit. It can actually be like high thirties, even if it's windy. You know, a lot of times, what people don't realize is that when you're above the water, when you're when you're sitting up, that's the coldest. The water is always warmer than the air, especially in, you know, the winter time, right? The, the, the water is, is insulating, right? It's when you're exposed to that air, that's when you get really cold. How, how thick uh, neoprene do, do, do these guys wear in, in Iceland when they start? Um, I think that, I think that if anything, you're, you, it depends on how much you're paddling. So if, if there's a lot of waves coming and you're paddling a lot, you, I mean, you get sweaty, you get warm, you get hot. Right. Um, and I think, What I would say is that if it's lull, it's, we call it like lully, like you're waiting, there's a lot of lulls, right. um, you can get really cold. So I, usually it's between like five millimeters, like a five millimeter suit and a six millimeter suit. But the suit isn't the most important part. It's usually your gloves and your feet. So typically you, you opt for like thicker booties and gloves, like seven millimeter, six millimeter gloves and booties because your extremities are what get cold first. So what, what uh, then, then brought it to Iceland? It was my first trip ever was an assignment for men's journal documenting a surfer who had, um, who had uh, basically 
had a staph infection in his brain and they had to remove part of his brain. And his doctor told him, his name is Timmy Turner. His doctor told him he can't surf in warm water anymore. Um, and so basically, um, basically like it was one of those situations where I was like, well, this is an epic place. I've always wanted to go. Timmy is somebody I knew and I respected. And so I went there to shoot a profile piece on him. And I mean, that was just like the excuse to go. Right. And, and we, we went, explored the whole coast, the North, the South drove around camped. It was in the spring. It was cold. Um, we were camping in the snow. It was funny. Cause like that was, you know, over 10 years ago, things have changed a lot. Things have adjusted. Um, it's very unique to see how much so dynamic the environment has has altered you know and at the time it felt like the most wild raw end of the earth you know but it actually now feels a little more tame a little more manageable so yeah i was just wondering like you know coming coming from california to iceland how did that feel to you like to come to this completely different environment you know like uh water colors it's funny because yes it was colder but i i grew up surfing in cold water you know like not as cold nearly but I was used to using a wetsuit. I think that where where it strayed is that California, yes, you have cold mornings or you, you go to the snow and then you're in the snow. With Iceland, it varied every second. Like you you could never let your guard down, you know? And that's what's unique is like, it'll be, you know, 80 mile an hour catabatic winds. And then on the next day, it'll be sunny and warm and, and you just, you don't know what to think. And I, but I think that for me, that was the first trip that really cemented my love for those places, for those wild, untamed places. And what it was, was that all of a sudden the images that I was shooting, that I was creating, they felt valuable, not, not because they had monetary value, but to me, they felt valuable to me. They felt meaningful. Um, and if anything, I felt like, I could remember each one, each moment, because it was significant. And because I, you know, when you give a piece of yourself to a, to a place or to a creative process, it ingrains something in you, something deeper than just a shutter click. It's really important. You mentioned the creative process, like, you know, can you share some of like your, your creative process when you go about finding that wave that you heard about in the pub and, and the right time and, uh, uh, you know, the person, you know, was the, well, putting it all together, you know, I mean, that's not a one, two, three. I mean, it's, it's a complicated process. I would say, uh, it, it takes, it took, it's not like there's a creative process. It's more like nowadays when I'm thinking of an idea or a concept, I'm usually looking for a brand to support that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going on vacations. Um, I've never done that. I've always, I've always traveled with intent or purpose, right. For work. So I have to go there for some one or something, you know, and what I like to do is spend the time, I'm not a big believer in luck. I'm a big believer in like, yes, you know, luck favors the prepared and the more prepared you are that the less like the more likely those situations can find you. And so I've been somebody where like, if I plan a trip to like remote Russia and I do all the, the, my due diligence, the details, find the people, I can usually find somebody, convince somebody to let me go or to to shoot an assignment or whatever. Um, and that's been really advantageous for me. And so being somebody who, um, who has a skill set, understands, knows Iceland really well and other North Atlantic locations, it's been, it's allowed me to go back. So my creative process now is normally like, what's the story I want to tell? 
and how can I do that in a way that's going to be the most authentic, the most real, you know, like there are a lot of stories that we tell where like, yeah, you know, maybe you're riding your bike somewhere and you've got, you know, a a big support crew and it's not really fostering that real, um, that real raw experience because it's kind of being, it's being stripped away or you're you're out there shooting. And and I, I get the fact that there are moments where I've got to go shoot a commercial campaign where you know, you, you're just doing your best to make it look authentic, but that's just not what it is. And that's, that's commercial photography in a nutshell. It's fine. Um, but I think that for me, I still want the images to, to, to emote a feeling, to portray an experience. So um, my creative process is usually trying to identify like, what is the story I want to tell or the brand wants to tell? Where could that be executed? How could it be executed? What's a way to involve, um, you know, uh, sort of the, the human effort, the human experience, whether that's through climbing or surfing or, or trail running or whatever, um, or, or even more complicated subjects like being a father and raising a, a single daughter. If I'm making a film about something like that. And then I'm looking for like, where's the backdrop? Where's this happening? Where's this occurring? Um, so that's kind of the, um, that's kind of my thought process, I guess you could say. And like, how do we do it? And can can you double click on where you go and what you do in these kind of like thought processes? Like you know, like do you have a special room or do you do you go ride a bike or like to to get these creative thoughts? You know, I think that carving out time. I think that if anything, I've realized that you know, as a self-professed workaholic, somebody who's you know spent a lot of days grinding away trying to build a career, I've learned that you know, good ideas, they don't, they don't come to you when you're in the, in the midst of trying to like be creative on some other project or assignment, you need to create time for that. You need to create time for yourself. You need to create time for the things that you love. And that's what fills you up. Like, I think as a creative person, if, if I just pulled out a camera every time I wanted to be inspired, I don't think, I don't think I would be able to come up with many good ideas. I need to have other pursuits. So that's why like, you know, yoga is a big part of that. Just hiking, you know, being outdoors, backpacking, going, um, you know, riding my bike, doing bikepacking trips. I'm going on a bikepacking trip tomorrow night, um, to Colorado for three days. And oh, really? Where to? I'm going to uh, Mancos. I'm going to go to Four Corners and do a bike rafting expedition training course. Um, so it's for me, it's like that will be a, a non-creative pursuit that will allow me to like, you know think about life and things and the things I care about. Um, I often think about it like a well, you know, each of us has a big reservoir. And when you are on assignment, you're, you're taking buckets from that well, you're giving, giving, giving to people. And at a certain point it runs dry. And what sucks about that is that then you're, you're not really having much to offer. So I feel like when I'm home, I need to fill, fill up my time with things that inspire me so that I can give again. And speaking about uh, inspiring, what, what what are things that inspire you? You know, nowadays it's funny because I'm I'm less inspired by photographs, and I'm more inspired by by stories or architecture or typography or design or or just other things. I think that when you have a really narrow field of view, it's hard because you you're only you're getting kind of like that feedback cycle, right? And if I'm just looking at photographs for inspiration, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see exactly what I'm going to create. So I want to, I want to, you know, bear forth new ideas. I want to, I want to think outside the box. And I think to do that, we need to look at, 
you know, even like how businesses are run effectively, how, how marketing departments operate, how, how do we think outside the box? So I, I tend to draw inspiration now from a lot of places and I try to, um, I try to be well-versed in a lot of different, you know, modalities so that I can apply those because when I started my career, it's, it's as if, um, the only way I could express myself, <laughs> you know, I don't know how, I don't know how to describe this, but it's like, you're a barista, but all you can do is like drip coffee, you know? And then all of a sudden you like learn to make a cappuccino and a cortado and, a, or you're, you know, you're a chef and you only have one knife. You got this one knife, so you can only make one thing. And that that's really limiting. Maybe, maybe you make a really good cut of whatever, but you, you don't have a lot to offer. So now as a creative person and as somebody who is putting out that creativity in the world, I want to be able to stand on stage and speak about what I care about without photographs. I want to be able to author a book. I want to be able to direct a film. I want to be able to do a lot of different things that can allow people to understand what I care about and tell stories and, 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 and connect with my work. For, for a standard person, just you know, looking at everything you, we can find about you on, on your webpage and Instagram and everything, it, it's hard to believe, right, that, <laughs> that uh, you're still so relaxed with everything you, you do, right? And, I mean, of course, uh, as you said, you have a, a great team from your family. And yeah. all, but uh, so how over the years did you, did you manage to organize your personal life with business life, you know, being a workaholic, you know, being curious, learning, There's a lot of things coming. You know, I think that the important thing is that at a certain point, you, what I realized, you know, touching on that workaholic thing is that if I was just saying yes to everything, I wasn't actually saying yes to what I wanted. You know, you have to kind of like, you have to say no to certain things in order to say yes to what you want. I read an incredible book called um, Essentialism by Greg McKeown. And it really was like a, a guiding force in my life to, to understand what's important and identify what's important and create time for that. And because as somebody who grew up very blue collar, you know, I, it, it was almost like sacrilegious to say no to work, right? So for me growing up, it was always about saying yes, saying yes to the assignment, anything goes. And now I realize that in doing so, you, you aren't giving your best to those that really need you. So for me now, it's like, I want to balance my time between personal projects, work projects, family, things I care about. And I guess the thing that I, if I ever made an intelligent choice early on, it was to learn when to ask for help and realize that yes, although I'm a perfectionist and I want it done a certain way, um, if I can't learn to collaborate, I'm not going to make it very far uh, because you you can't do what I do or what my studio does as a sole person, right? I needed a team. And now I have a really talented team that helps me out. And, and the, the, the size of jobs, the scope of jobs we do require a lot of hands and a lot of effort. So I think that's, um, that's something that's really been helpful to me. And, and just, I guess, moving forward and perpetuating this, you know, process and everything like that. So, yeah. And, and speaking about the team, how, how big is your team today? Uh, seven people. So, um, so I'll have, I'll have a dedicated like assistant who will go with me on shoots and I'll have, um, you know, so there's two kind of assistants in the studio. I have a dedicated photo editor who's editing the last job we did. You know, she's right now, her name's Hannah and she's editing, you know, the 30,000 photos we shot in Norway for Billabong on a recent shoot. And so that I can 
go forward and do the next shoot. Um, I have Mike, who's kind of like an operations manager, manages the day-to-day, the calendar, um, does a lot of brand managing too. Um, and then I'll have, uh, you know, a, a person who's also kind of handling the logistics in the office, like the shipping, the social calendars, this and that. Um, and then, uh, you know, we also have a bookkeeper. We have, uh, I have an agent. Um, I have a licensing agent. You know, so the list kind of goes on. It takes a lot of people to orchestrate, but it's funny because I never really dreamt of that. It's not really what I want. I don't really get my kicks having a big space. In fact, I just want to be told what to do and go do it. Um, but I, I find a lot of joy being able to provide, you know, as a community, you know, an income for a lot of other people and see them live out their lives and be fulfilled. And that's really fun to me. And to know that we are able to inspire people is like really meaningful. Great. That's great. Um, going back to the, to the, the adventures and uh, the things you do, um, <laughs> they definitely, they definitely involve uh, risk, right. And what you do and anything, how do you, how, yeah. do you, how, do you, how do you deal with risk? Risk is a, risk is a, a touchy subject, you know, um, mainly because, um, mainly because I, I know full well that, you know, the, the people that I have at home, my kids, my wife, they're the most important thing to me. And I can't, I can't just blindly thrust myself into situations without knowing, which is why I think I take the preparation process so seriously. I take the, I take the, um, the, 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 the process of, of learning what, what I need to learn so seriously. And, and in, you know, I'm, I'm planning an expedition this summer in Iceland. Um, it's not un, unlike anything I've ever done. And in order to do that effectively, I have to go spend four days in Colorado training for that. And I've got to jump on tons of zoom calls and I have to, you know, go and, and scout these rivers and, and just little things like that. Because if I want the project to be successful, then I have to do my due diligence. And I think that what I've learned is that all of my experiences that have, that have been the most risky to me, they haven't felt risky because your tolerance for risk changes the more time you give to something. The first time you you fly off a jump on your bike, it feels really risky. And then you do it a thousand times and you could do it with your eyes closed, literally. Right. Um, so, so risk tolerance is very much a, um, a, a learned trait. It's a learned skill. It's something that we, we come to terms with. And we, um, we, you know, I, 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 it's a subject that I have a real relationship with. Risk is something I have to have a real relationship with, because I think that there are, there are those who are, would be in this career path, um, not willing to take risk. And I think for me, all the greatest benefits monetarily career-wise have been taking risks. You know, it was a risk to make a children's book. I mean, who the heck would, would care about a children's book from a photographer, but we made one and it's one of our most successful projects. It was a risk to make a lot of the projects and films we did, but then they benefited us. And so for me, my relationship with risk is that it's always seemed to pay off, but I have to respect it and I can't abuse it. Wow. Very nice. What, what inspired you to, to do a children's book? Well, um, I would say that it was, it, it was kind of like an opportunity came to me and I jumped on that opportunity. Um, it, it, somebody had reached out saying like, Hey, Chris, we love your work. We, we think this would be an interesting topic. And at first I was like, man, like really like that, that seems odd. And then I thought about it more and I was like, well, for me, I, I love the idea of putting my work in front of new audiences, in front of new people that maybe wouldn't have seen it. And ultimately like 
I have two boys. I wanted to create something that was like in honor of them and owed to them and who they are and their growth and their learning. And, um, and so I made something to kind of dedicate to them. And, and ultimately, you know, I was like, if this fails, you know, who, who cares? I did something that's meaningful, but it didn't, it was actually really successful. It won an award in, um, made a lot of difference and yeah now it's in like a lot of the national park stores and stuff like that so good speak speak, i want to go back to your your point of like the business side as you said you know you never really dreamt of this you know like a big team and everything Mm -hmm. but but then again um um doing doing this business like um were there people that inspired you like you know when you started this or was it always like your own stubborn tinkerness um there was inspiration along the way for sure. There were people that, 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 that kind of helped me, um, give me an example. I don't think I ever had like a mentor mentor, like a person who like took me under their wing. I had people that I interned for and people that I, I learned from, but I've, I think if anything, I've always been a real visual learner and I've always been a real hands-on learner and I've never been afraid to like commit myself to something. And, and so, you know, failure has been an excellent teacher for me. Um, and, but I, but I, I will say that, you know, um, that I've had a lot of heroes in my career path that I've kind of looked at, looked at their careers, wanted to emulate what they've done. Um, and I think that the one thing I've realized is that you don't necessarily need somebody to like, you know, you don't need to go work for somebody for them to mentor you. You know, when I, when I was inspired by Ansel Adams work early in my career, my first trip to the Sierra to Yosemite. Um, he was the first landscape photographer that left an impression on me. That sounds cliche, but ultimately that led to me like reading his autobiography, owning tons of his books. I did all my research. Then I had the opportunity to go and, and meet the curator of his work in Flagstaff where his images are held. I read through his journals. I read through his diaries. I looked at his negatives. So that relationship with somebody who's not even around was so meaningful that I perpetuated it into something bigger, larger. And it, it wasn't just like a, a, a fake mentorship, you know, like this is a, a subject that left behind so much knowledge and information that I was actually able to um, gain insight into how they would approach things and do things. And, and I guess all I'm saying is that, um, you know, we sometimes are looking for somebody to like show us the way. And I just, I didn't see that opportunity being there for me. So I, I showed myself the way and I tried to take the opportunities any opportunities that would present themselves speaking of, of heroes like ansel adams are any others that that yeah Ra- ragnar axelson okay he's an icelandic photographer whose um work is really um synonymous with um indigenous you know cultures that are fading away pharaohs greenland like um kind of uh looking at um how you know climate change and or you know um receding ice has just affected places and landscapes and people. And, and, um, and he really opened my eyes to, um, understanding just a different way of looking at the world. The Western perspective is so limited when we, we see things that look and feel and seem, um, really, uh, abhorrent or, or undescribable, you know, but then you realize they've lived this way for thousands of years. And, and, and just because, you know, there's food we can process in a, in a plant somewhere, it doesn't mean we should take away their traditional hunting practices or something along those lines. So his work really opened my eyes. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet him and, and, and meet him in person and, and, um, and, uh, and, and get to know him. And that's been really special. 
going back to adventures and and uh, the part we started bikes um that that came later in in your life that like how, or like um where where did bikes start to become come part of your you know i it's funny i you know purely from commuting i was like you know i i used to have an office that was like a mile from my house and i'm like this is ridiculous i should not be driving my car so i bought a bike off of craigslist some cheap used bike and i i um I started to, to ride. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, this is really fun. Like all of a sudden the landscapes that I would, the streets and the, the places I would drive by, you know, you're seeing them in a different way. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, what about this place that I grew up and I want to ride by there. And, you know, as a kid, I rode bikes and it was, it, it gave, it reminded me of the freedom of that experience. And so on all of a sudden my rides would be a little longer, a little longer. I want to go out to this spot, go out to this spot. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're stopping and you're getting food along the way. And then you're, you're just experiencing a place in a more three-dimensional way. You know, the car can feel so automated sometimes and so monotonous and as opposed to this experience where your breath and you can feel the wind and you can smell it and, and it feels three-dimensional. And I, and I just love that. It's so valuable. So I think that what evolved was a desire to immerse myself in the landscapes that I cared about. And, you know, I love riding in California. I love riding near my home, but I also, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed riding in, in more remote places like Iceland and, and, and through the, um, through kind of more remote wild environments where you, you feel a little bit more um, at the mercy of the landscape and a little bit more uh, self sustained. And it, teaches you something, you know, and, um, to see the world in that way is a, is a gift and something really special. Um, I don't really know where it coincides with my work as a professional photographer. Um, but using the bike to tell stories is really meaningful and really, really valuable to me. Nicely said, right? Like, you know, going in some remote places and being self-sustained, you know, like your trips that, I only the, the few I've, I've seen and looked, you know, like going through, through Iceland, you know, left and right. Uh, parallel yeah. and, and diagonal and um, around, around and up and down. I've, I've literally ridden. I mean, and, and it's funny because I am, um, you know, I think to me, it's just about what can I do that can, can allow others to feel approachable. Like, I think one of the, one of the things I realized about my work is like, I'm not really a much of like a top of the mountain kind of guy. I'm not like the go to the top of Everest and document that experience. That sounds fun, but Will that relate to a lot of people? Probably not. You know, it, it, it might give them some inspiration, some fanfare, but, but we're not looking at that in the aspiration of like, I want to be that person. But when you think about, you know, surfing or riding bikes or, or climbing or the things that feel approachable, I love approachable adventure. And I think that's what I've learned about bike riding is like, sometimes it feels a little above your pay grade, feels a little scary, a little challenging, but usually you know that you could do that. Or you could do a version of it or a leg of it if you put in the time. And I, it, bikes are so accessible to people. That's so, so awesome. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think that's been really fun. And, I, I, you know, racing is cool to watch. I, I don't fully comprehend it in any capacity. Um, <laughs> are, are, you watching, um, are you watching any races? Did you watch? I mean, I love, I love watching the gravel race series, okay. like the lifetime series, just cause I have a lot of friends. Like they're, those are like some of the coolest people I love. Um, I love watching a lot of the athletes just cause I know them personally. Um, but I think that what I'm, what I'm more intrigued by are like the more ultra endurance events, 
because to me, the real essence of, um, of immersing yourself in a landscape comes from making decisions where you need to know when to fuel, you need to know when to sleep, you need to know when to pack. You're making, you're making decisions based upon not being supported by a feed zone or a car or whatever, because simply rushing between point A to point B as fast as you can, um, that's an amazing feat of human experience, an amazing feat of human achievement. Yet, um, when that extends to like 200 miles, 300 miles, 400 miles, 2000 miles, to me, that's the difference. That's when the real, I think, challenge and sort of this hybridized experience of, of, um, humans existing in a landscape and using a bicycle to really, really traverse a landscape. That's where I get excited. So I think, I think that's where I am. I really, uh, thrive, but also I, I, I look at those events, the tour divide, you know, the, the Atlas mountain race, like those are the ones that I'm like, man, those get me, they make me nervous. They get me excited. They make the sweat roll down my face because every single decision you make, what headlamp am I going to bring? What kind of battery charger am I going to use? Am I going to use this kind of wheel or this kind of wheel? Those are like life changing decisions because you might have to rely upon that. Some big descent down a loose gravelly mountain in the middle of Morocco. Like that's where you're all alone and it's snowing. Like that's where you start to question your existence in life and, and your, your space on this earth. <laughs> You know, listening just to you, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you're, you have the same energy telling these kind of stories in your family and to your wife, but, you know, like, I, I don't know your wife, but, you know, uh, I'm just trying to envision when you go, honey, I have a new idea. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> and then you go up like, oh, there's this, there's this 2000 mile, uh, yeah. uh how, how is that coming? It's, it's funny because I think that there's, I've, I've been, mar been married since I was 21. So okay. I got, I got married. So talk about risk and fear and all those things. Like I, I did the scariest, riskiest thing I've ever done early in my life. So I got that out of the way. And, um, my wife has been just an incredible support and, and we've built my career together. So she fully knows what she's getting into, but, it, but, Most of our conversations aren't around like, can you do it? Are you, she knows I'll put in the time, I'll train, I'll put in the effort, I'll think about it. Um, it's more a matter of like, okay, like if you're gonna do this, like how much time is it gonna take? How much, how can we carve this out of your schedule, out of the kids' schedule, out of our lives so that I'm still a good dad, I'm still a good parent? And I think that's what's been really helpful is like learning to understand um, just how to balance those two. I think that. I think that being a successful photographer or director or whatever, running a studio, you know, doing some amazing long bike ride, all that's kind of a moot point if you can't come home at the end of the day and be like a good parent or, or be a, a good partner, right? So that is probably the most important thing. Well, Chris, that's, uh, that's a really nice ending to, to, to this great story for now because we could go on and on and on. You know, I, I definitely I, appreciate it. I hope we do. Yeah, yeah we'll, do we'll, we'll hopefully find a, a second and third time and, and a new topic. But uh, for now, you know, I want to thank you and appreciate all your, your insights and openness. Uh, to me, a very inspiring uh, uh, a conversation. I'll take a lot out of it. And uh, so, first of all, I wish you a, a lot of fun and, and, and maybe give, can you give us some insights? So, like, what are you trying to learn now in this rafting? Uh, bike, bike rafting trip? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. So this summer, um, there's a there's a route that I've always wanted to do. It's a 300 mile stretch of coast of of sand of beach. So it's a fat bike trip that goes along um, this stretch of sand, and it crosses 38 river crossings. Um, and those river crossings are usually small, but they can be ferocious. And so it's a it's a bike rafting trip that ultimately will allow us to access an otherwise inaccessible stretch of coast. I mean, it's going to take us through some of the most beautiful remote parts of this country. Um, and also what I love is that you're, you're, you're diving into a, a large portion of this, this country's history. This is the, the area where French ships and Dutch ships and Spanish ships would land or crash or, you know, and the remnants are still there. And there's spots where people have never set foot because they're in between rivers or they're small islands. So the hope is that, you know, that when you experience a place, you're experiencing more than just its its roads or its its trails. And I love when cycling can feel uncharted. Um, and so that's what we're doing. We're doing that trip, but I'm going to Colorado to train for that trip with uh, Steve Fassbender, who's like kind of like the guru of the sport. Um, and just get dialed with like, insight on like like bike rafting. What do what what does it look like? Do you have a boat? Yeah, so you, you and have a you have a pack raft. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of better people to explain this, but you have a, a packable pack raft. It's about five pounds. A couple brands that make really good ones. Alpaca wow. is the one I'm using. It's five pounds. Goes in a backpack with your paddles that that collapse. So you you you're basically you're bike packing, but then you have a pack raft. But the the, the complicated part is how you put the bike on the raft balanced. So you have a full paddle stroke so you can get across rivers. You know, we're mostly going to be paddling flat water, but there will be a current. So you're kind of right. like deciding where to enter. Sometimes you're going to get on a river and you're going to see a 10 foot riverbank. How do you get up that thing? Right. Sometimes there's a tide that's pulling or pushing. Sometimes you're on, you know, you're dealing with high wind. It's a, it's a really intense trip. Sounds like it. Yeah, and it's going to be rad, and I'm I'm stoked to be you know riding Schwabi out there and 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 representing the brand too. So, thank you so much. I wish you first of all a lot of fun out there with uh, yeah. the Super Pro showing you how to balance uh, your bike. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some fun moments uh, coming oh, yeah. out of that, and and hopefully a lot of good experience. And then uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to next time, uh, uh, and maybe then we'll we'll dive into your your passion for farmership, being a farmer and having a heck yeah. Sheep and yeah. Sheep and yeah. So yeah. Thanks a lot. And all that. Hey, yeah, thanks so exactly. much. Thanks. Have a good day. Yeah. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Chris. Bye-bye.